Okay, so are we good? We're good. You can do the uh, intro this time. Okay. Well, my name is Aaron, and this is my co-host, Marshall, and this is the Two Opinionated Guys podcast. So, Marshall, the question that we had that we wanted to kick it off with, we actually have a few questions we're going to talk about today. Uh, The first one that we really thought was interesting was the question of, Will travel ever be the same again? Be, you know, obviously due to coronavirus, I think sort of the implication there. So, so give me your thoughts on that. So, well, let me just ask you this, because mm-hmm. I think, I think from being a traveler, I'm somebody who likes to travel, not just in the United States but outside. I don't believe it will go back to being normal. And your position on it is what? I think it'll go back to normal. And what do you consider normal? Uh, well, I feel like if you remove the last two months of our lives, everything beyond that was normal. So you were able to fly anywhere internationally or locally, um, domestically that is. You didn't have to take extreme precautions. Um, there okay, was... so let's just go back to 9-11, right? <clears throat> yeah. Did they, they had to put something in place that has then been carried forward to this day. Which is TSA, right? And and the massive amount of inspections and scannings that we do to keep us safe, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that has not gone away. Yeah, but you, I don't think you can scientifically prove or come to a consensus that terrorism, after you've been attacked by terrorism, that that is just going to go away. And I think the difference between what you're referencing and what I'm talking about is, yes, you're right about that. Post 9-11, travel restrictions were implemented, safety uh, procedures were put in place, and they haven't lifted. But I think the difference is, is that we recognize we're probably being a little too relaxed, and it cost us dearly, obviously. And well, I think in this case, though, we're getting new data. I think it's going to be a good year until we have all the data in that we go, oh, it wasn't as bad as we thought it was going to be. Well, see, because I, I could go a lot of different directions here. We could go internationally, and we could go domestically. But let's just talk about domestic uh, travel. And I think when I mention it, or it, it's mentioned, we're thinking of traveling on an airplane, right? Right. But I don't think we have to limit it just to traveling on an airplane. Because right now, during this COVID-19 thing, there are states opening up and some states not opening up. Mm-hmm. And there are some rules, like you can't fish in our state. If you're a resident, you can fish here and you can hunt here. But it's not we're not welcome, welcoming people from other states. Mm-hmm. And you can come to our, we can go to our beaches, but you can't come to our beaches. And that's happening in other states, and there are states that are a little bit more liberal with that, and a little bit um, states that are a little bit more rule driven. Mm-hmm. And you think that is something that's going to let up pretty soon, or do you think that's going to cause some sort of division? Yeah, I mean, I think the effects. I think we're going to feel the effects for a while. Don't get me wrong, but I think the question was, will it ever go back to normal? And I think my answer is yes, because I think that the data coming out. I mean, the CDC uh, changing their tune about it. I think even Dr. Fauci, that's his name, he's basically name. saying that masks are probably not the most useful things. People are starting to really call into question the usefulness of gloves. I think some of the things that felt like they were going to be the new normal are quickly getting disregarded because we realize a lot of information is coming out that's just proving a lot of it to not be true. And so do I think in the short term travel is going to change? No, not at all. I think what's short term to you? I know we've talked about short term and long term, but I would love to know in your mind what's short term. 
tomorrow. Now, short term, I would say, well, it would change depending on political things, but we've got... Well, in your mind, what's a short term? A month? Two months? A year. A year is short term in your mind. Yeah. You... Yeah, because are an interesting it, person. Well, thanks. I, that's that's why I'm here. I think that's not short term. Well, I think it is. I I think that when you think about presidencies lasting eight years, political terms being generally two. Presidencies four. are four years, and then you right. Can okay, the be incumbent always wins, and so they always end up being eight years. They don't all end up being eight right years. unless there's a political scandal. Which one was the last time that happened? George Bush was not a political scandal. How long was and he? He served four years. George Bush, senior. Oh. I think one year marker is flexible though, because I think that part of it is that I think we're going to have a presidential election, and I think depending on the outcome of that, it's either going to elongate certain things or it's going to cut them short. So meaning, if we're being blunt, I think if a Republican wins office again, there's going to be a quick and hasty push to end all the COVID restrictions a lot faster. I think if a Democrat wins, then they're going to try to increase restrictions. Was it the the governor of Michigan said... The president can't come to my state if he doesn't wear a mask. Right. Did you hear that? Yeah. So isn't that already imposing some sort of restriction that I don't even think... Well, but he's already said he's not going to obey the rule, and he probably won't. And you know what? A lot of it is just political jockeying, and that's something really sad about the state of affairs in America right now, is you realize how much... There aren't really any ramifications. People can just say things and behave that way, and that's the new precedent set, and then that's the new norm. Um... I was watching a an interview with Trey Gowdy, who was the Republican congressman for South Carolina for however many years, and he walked away from it, and in his exit interview, he was talking about how the legislative branch can do all these special investigations, like they special investigated Comey and Hillary, and he was like, but people are always getting pissed at us because no justice, quote-unquote, was ever served. And he said, we can't really do anything. We're just there to shed light. That's what we're here to do. And you go, oh, I thought the whole time that I'm watching these special investigations that there was like, oh, you're calling out criminals and you're going to put them in jail. So you just realize how much of politics, so like the governor of Michigan saying mm. the president can't come here. So really uh, what they're doing is shedding light and what the media should be doing is shedding the light. And they're really the people kind of um, setting out the judgment because they're the people that are really telling us what to think. And um, we're the ones making the decisions on whether they're right and wrong. And that's how justice is kind of being served a little bit totally and i mean in that case in, correctly in, or incorrectly in the case of the you know special investigations it really depends on who's in the department of justice who's in the supreme court i mean if it's republicans or democrats then you know their parties are not going to get reprimanded nearly as much but i guess the point i was making was that yes she said he can't come but i'm not really sure she has the power to tell him he can't come he said i'm not going to listen to you i'm pretty sure he's not going to listen to you isn't that kind of the problem right now nobody really knows who has what power there well nobody is uh, nobody is obeying any laws nobody is really observing anything there's no real <laughs> structure it seems like i mean i know this is like a such a side tangent but right now you go like so many governor governors are saying this is what we're doing and you're going can a governor do that can the can the president overturn what the governor says can the governor do something mm-hmm. um, opposite of what the president says and there's so many things floating around about it. And then there's all this stuff where you must wear masks and gloves. And then there's people going, well, you're not, you're not infringing upon my freedoms. You know, I, the, the Constitution you know, says I have all these freedoms. And then you're going, well, okay, so what can you do and what can't you do? And I think I generally understand the Constitution, but I also understand there's private businesses. And if a business says you must wear a mask when entering, then it's not whether you live in a free country or not. 
Uh, I mean, you don't have to wear a mask outside, but when you go into a private business and that's what they require, I think it's equivalent to shirts and shoes, isn't it? Right, totally. And I think that's something that a lot of this is shedding light on. So the question being, are we going to ever go back to normal? I don't know. I think what normal is is getting redefined right now, and that's not just in travel. That's in a lot of areas. You know, the new normal is it's a little chaotic, and it's kind of a power grab to some degree because a lot of people are just doing things that – you know, like Governor Newsom in California is talking about providing emergency COVID aid to people who are not documented. And I go, how is that legal to spend taxpayer dollars on? Um, and But he's doing it. And he, it's almost like you, you see a lot of people in politics right now, the president included, just doing things and not really concerning themselves with whether it's legal or constitutional. And I think that really falls in the justice system in general. Like, did you know that most laws, or at least many laws, really come to fruition based on just a precedent set? So a hearing is held and a judge makes a ruling, and that's basically the law of precedent. And they refer back to right. such and such a case right. that it was decided. So there was no law prior. That case was just where they really had to think about it, and based on the outcome of that case is kind of the new way we go moving forward. I feel like that's the where we're at in politics right now that yeah that's what i worry about right now with the whole shutdown i go well we just set a precedent now if there's something else some other disease that comes about then they're gonna go okay time for shutdown again and then our kids are gonna go oh this is a shutdown year just like it's an election year it's an olympic year it's a shutdown year or freaking you know air raid drills where kids get used to diving into their desks when they hear a certain noise or nuclear bomb drills like And, and that faded away i mean is that is this something that could be this way for like the next four to ten years and then go away and not be a thing at all? Well, my hope is that the case... My hope is that a lot of politics in the last four years have done one thing positive, if not a few things, and that is parse out the extremists from the people who are really, despite what side of the aisle they're on, kind of thinking in general terms in the same way. And I don't consider myself necessarily a centrist, but I definitely feel like I'm not that extreme, that's for sure, and I'm hoping that a lot of this um, COVID stuff really separates the, the the 80% of us who are want to get back to normal life, and we know what normal life is, and that we're we're, we're going to make that happen. I mean, that's my hope. Well, let's go to international. I mean, I, maybe it's pretty easy to say, hey, this won't change too much the landscape, but uh, I, I can throw out another thing that I think is going to change it that maybe you didn't think about. But let's go to international travel. Right now, other countries are shut down, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know what the indication is or the earmark for them to open up. You know, you have uh, Denmark, I think, who started opening up quite a bit. Probably, you know, one of the most, the countries that have opened up the most right now. Mm -hmm. And so you go, okay, so, I mean, are they going to have a lot more restrictions when you go to do international travel? And how do we view those other countries right now? I mean, how are we going to view, um, let's China, for instance. I mean, is that a country we're going to go want to visit or are those other countries going to even want the Chinese to visit them? Well, I think that something that's happening is that there's been a real big push for globalism in the last 20 years, particularly in globalism, meaning basically unite as one giant country, despite of, you know, differences in politics, differences in culture, differences in ways of life, and just unite as we're all people in Earth trying to push for a better Earth. And I think that what this is kind of doing is putting some strain on that because there are countries that we go, yeah, they don't really obey the same rules as we do, like safety regulations, 
you know, communist governments just generally don't seem to be as honest mm-hmm. about things. And so you think about China through the lens of honesty and you go, yeah, I don't, I don't even know if I would trust if they say it. Like, remember when they opened back up really quickly? Yeah. And then all of a sudden they're like, we've had zero cases. And it's like, that was yeah, nothing reported ever right. again. Right. Yeah. And all this new information has come out. And so, yeah, I think you're right. I think it will affect travel in the sense of people are going to be a lot more hesitant for a while. I don't know if I would say forever, because I think once you don't hear about, you know, every few years there's an Ebola, there's coronavirus, there's SARS. I mean, these, these things happen. And, and I think that this will maybe be a bigger one in the marks of history, but I, I do think it's going to die down. And I think eventually we will be traveling to China again, internationally. Yeah, and I hope so. I mean, I, I, we went and we talked about taking our kids to go and it would be great to see what it's like because it's, you know, we thought it was a pretty amazing place to see. And um, and the culture is just so vastly different than ours. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a neat culture. Um, you know, we're, uh, not a lot of Americans can wrap their minds around other cultures. And you go, um, we, we're kind of naive in mm-hmm. a way where we just think every country is America and or we compare it to and say well they do this better and we should be like them in certain ways and when you go to these other countries and you realize that wait a minute you're not in america you're not protected by american rights really mm-hmm. i mean we were coming back from italy by way of uh, the uk and we got stuck because it was a big meltdown in, in, in the um, airline that we were using in their communication and we got stuck there for a couple days and um, we were coming back and they re-inspected our bags and my wife was just like exhausted, tired, and they were throwing some, they're like, oh, you can't take this. All it has to, all this stuff has to fit in a Ziploc bag. And she goes, that's not how it works. And she's trying to tell them. And I'm like, babe, we're in a different country. I mean, they can kind of do what they yeah. want right now. It's not up to us. And it's not, you know, this isn't America rules where we just kind of get jaded to that a little bit. And yeah. I think the rules might get a little bit stricter for some of these other countries. And especially the way they, uh, you know, view other countries around them and view us. Yeah, I but I also think that there's another side of, you know, there's that side of the political spectrum, that side of the sociological spectrum, which is your side, where you go, hey, maybe we will, will view things a little differently and recognize cultural differences, and maybe it will restrict travel to some degree, because a person like you might not be comfortable going to a China or a person, you know, a place that has these wet markets or these substandard food quality, you know, ratings and things like that. But there's a lot of people. I'm going to be cautious about what I eat. I'm going to tell you, I'm very liberal with the food that I eat. And I love trying different things. And I tried some weird things in China. And now I'm going, what was I thinking? Oh, dude, the time frame in which you guys all went to China and came back and then it happened, I did, that didn't even dawn on me. Because once COVID hit, the economy shut down. We're all thinking about, are we losing our jobs? Are we going out of business? I forgot all about that. But I go, it was eerily close to that time that you guys got back from China. So you guys are all kind of suspect in my book now. But I, I think what I was getting at was... You represent one part of America that thinks of it like more, I I think, pragmatically where you go, okay, well, bad things happened in China and they didn't really behave honestly and so I'm not really sure I'm going to trust them as a country right away, which is unfortunate because it's an awesome place to go visit. But there's the other side of the political spectrum too who they, they tend to not want to assign blame on any culture. They don't want to make blame and culture go together. Well... True, but I don't even think about, like, not even China in this instance. I mean, you go around the world and we're looked at. People know us. People know who's running for president in the United States. I mean, I was in 
Uganda, Africa, and people were talking about, are you voting for Hillary or Donald Trump? And I was like, ah, I'm about to get into a political debate here in the middle of Africa. Mm. And I was, I was thinking, why do you care? And they said, oh, we all look to the United States. You know, I mean, that's what they do. And so you go, oh, there's, there's good and there's um, bad from that. And then the whether it's honest or not, because I'm going, yeah, maybe China wasn't honest about the numbers. America's not honest about the numbers. I think we can see that. I mean, they've handled things pretty poorly in how they rate our um, sicknesses and our, our, our testing and our deaths, right? I mean, they were saying, hey, if somebody dies and they had COVID, we're counting that as a COVID death, mm-hmm. right? Well, now the rest of the world looks at that and goes, whoa, the United States has the most amount of outbreak, right? Out, the most cases out there. Now, how do they look at us traveling to their state? To their country. True, but I, I think that we have the luxury of being that cautious, whereas a lot of countries probably don't have that kind of luxury to be that cautious. They just have to do it. They, they have, have to, to welcome do. us. Right. So if they, well, they, <laughs> the, the money that we bring, right? Or if they have to travel for some reason, maybe they don't have quite the option. But you know, it is Didn't interesting. Canada shut us down? I feel like they. They did early, yeah, actually. Okay. They took a pretty. So they don't need our money? Probably not. They, they should. <laughs> uh,. But I, but you know, the interesting thing about that is like, it's all about perspective really with COVID because, you know, I love the little meme that is, it says, well, no crap. We basically have the most We're the, we're a huge country. And so they talked about, you know, Japan or Italy or, you know, Sweden. China has more. China has more. People. If you believe their numbers, they have 1 billion people. Right. If you believe their numbers. (laughs) Well, I mean, Generally, I people popu- think they have a population of 1 billion. No, I believe their population, but I'm saying... Supposedly. I'm saying that if you are trying to compare America's COVID cases, I go, I don't know, it's just important to make sure you're taking into account like population size too. And listen, I'm not, I think we handled it really poorly. In fact, that was one of the most startling things about the entire situation is I go, holy crap, we were not ready for this. I mean, it was abundantly clear that we were three steps behind the entire time. Because if you think about it, knowing... Now, or knowing then what we know now, if we had just come out and been like, listen, just mass test everybody, doesn't matter what it costs, doesn't matter who we have to recruit, get the tests out there and start parsing people out based on who's infected and who's not and know a lot about who's infected and who's not, this all could have been handled totally differently. Well, going back to if if travel would be or is going to be different, what about the fact that there's a lot of industries that aren't going to make it through this? There's a lot of Hertz rental car just filed Chapter 11, I think. Mm. Uh, I read that in the news. There's probably a few more rental car companies that are pretty major that are going to go through that. And whether they just restructure or whatever, but you know, there's a couple companies that are probably going to go under or merge. There's, i got to imagine, major hotel companies merging mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. going under. And then you go into uh, the airlines. I mean, that, that landscape's got to change. And you think about right now, if you wanted to fly anywhere... I mean, you can get a flight pretty much next day, next week, and there's these there's these companies that you know they fly all over. The, they have their employees, their CEOs, or their marketing team. They fly all over the United States. Now it seems like a lot of those flights are limited, obviously due to you know meeting capacity and um, needing to have a certain amount of people so they can make the money. But there's a couple airlines that aren't going to make it through this, mm-hmm. and yeah. then I think that'll drastically. Um, I think it will. But where we're international travel, even totally. even domestic travel, totally. And in the short term, I think that's true, one hundred percent. But well, I'll, I'll argue even the long term. Okay, well, what's the long term to you? Well, it's short term to me is like uh, let let's say before the end of the year. Okay. So six months. Okay. Six 
plus months is like short term. Okay. Long term is a year plus. Okay. Well, we might not be speaking that differently then. Well, even but, if we say two years from now. Is two he, years from now long term? Yeah. Okay. So two years from now, you don't have certain airlines which that, that travel inexpensively to other places in the United States. So now you have less airlines to do it, which means they can do what with prices? But what do you think is going to happen? This is something that you're missing. Okay. In any industry that has a lot of demand, sure, they may jack up their prices for a while. Uh, it could be a few months. Well, that's they're not jacking their prices up yet because all the airlines are in existence. Okay, but my point is, is that what you're making argument is against some principles that I think I can telegraph with a good amount of confidence, which is... Some are going to go out of business. That's going to create a really profitable industry for the few that are left behind. Um, now, take note that the airline industry is heavily subsidized and heavily regulated, which distorts it a little bit. But there's going to be a lot of uh, a few companies left over. You know, American Airlines, whatever. I don't know who's going to be left over. And they they maybe they will jack up their prices because there's a heavy volume of demand, and there's going to be not as many flights in physical airplanes and airports. But inevitably, when there's profits, people are going to enter the market, whether it's an old airline that went out of business and is back again, or it's a new airline that came to fruition because they're like, okay, well, we see a way we can get into that market and steal some of that profit. It's not going to be long. Americans want to travel. We're the richest country in the world, and there's not going to be a shortage of airlines in the long term. There just isn't going to be. Well, yeah, and I guess maybe between the short and the long, there's this you know, this medium time that yeah, is unacceptable to to you or totally. I, where I go, yeah, if two years from now it's going to cost me, you know, $600 to fly this Southern California, that's just not worth it, right? right? When you're seeing flash sales for from here to San Francisco for $59 right. or from here to Seattle for 20 bucks, and that's pre-COVID, right? That's just competition at its best. Yep. And now you're going, okay, if it's going to cost me well, any more than $49, it's more expensive. And I guess... But they're not going to charge $600 to go to Southern California unless they're filling seats. Because the first time an airline goes, okay, it's $600 for a passenger to go 500 miles south and they get zero inquiries or one or two, they're going to be like, okay, well, that was obviously terrible. Let's move it down. It'll adjust. It'll go to equilibrium. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I could get that. I guess I could get behind that unless they have to just decrease the total volume of airplanes they're allowed to run. I mean, because if they keep this, we can only have X amount of people per row, and now instead of being able to fit 150 people in an airplane, we can only fit, you know, 75. Then they have to limit the amount that they can do, and they have to charge more to make up for that. I, I think you're right in the very, I think there's going to be a very clunky, weird, like, period of time where you might see those distortions happening where it's like, overpriced this or fewer options there or you can't get a weekend flight to San Diego like you could before but I think what I'm saying is generally if you were to go hey there's an entire section of our populace that likes widget A people will scramble to create a company to create that widget at a profit and then companies will flock to create that widget until there's no profit in it anymore. That's just the way that it works. So I'm not concerned about the impact. Sure. So maybe you and I can agree that maybe long-term, long, long-term, it, it won't have gross impacts. But right now, and for the foreseeable 
long short term, there there could be <laughs> yes there there could be some impacts because people who who like to travel will go nah I'm just not going to do it right now. Yeah, totally. And and I think you said long short term because I think that maybe we're saying maybe we're on similar terms, but we're just not we're not calling them the same thing. I look at a year as relatively like that's getting to the point of long term, but still short. What if it lasts four years? What if the wrong president gets in there and it lasts four years? Is that long term to you? Well, I think that's a whole other question, which is the impact of government on a market. Depends on if you're asking me about the market of supply and demand of travel and airline, or are you asking me specifically with the nuance of who gets in as a presidency or in the? Well, I'm thinking I'm specifically talking about what it's doing right now because you have even if you have it let's say trump gets back in office and he might want to shut every like shut all the governors down and say we're opening up which i again there's question on whether he can do that or not you have these other states who say yeah we're gonna remain shut down i mean are you traveling to california right now no why not I mean, aside from you don't have anything down there, but if you... Other if, than no if, desire, <laughs> than no, fiscal responsibility, if, if, the if, weather's getting nice here. Other than that... If there was no a reason. house for you to use down in LA or Palm Springs or something like that for you to use, and someone's like, go ahead and use it, you and your wife can go down there, and you're like, great, would you fly down there? Yes. Right now, with totally. no restaurants being well, open. Well, actually, you know what? I wouldn't because she's pregnant. Oh, ha. Yeah. Okay. But, but but with no restaurants being open and them being on lockdown, I mean, would you still want to yeah, go? Yeah, but I'm not a good person to judge that on because I'm okay. Like, when I went to Palm Springs, I didn't really do a lot. I just kind of, like, hung out and, like, observed the weird landscape of being in Palm Desert. So I don't know that I'm really the best. But Okay, but you are because public parks are a big thing for you. You like to hike. You like to go to... Not when I'm, on, not when I'm out and about. Like, I'm just sightseeing. Like, I'm just driving around. There's no sights to see when things are closed. Well, anything is... Yes, there is. When I was in Palm Desert, driving over that mountain range, seeing the desert, being in a completely foreign landscape, that's a sight to see. Okay. And the people were weird, I'm not going to lie. I, yeah, that is a sight to see by itself. <laughs> but I guess if you're going, if you're wanting to travel to see, to know what that state is about. And right. maybe California is a bad example, but maybe let's pick one you haven't been to and you're going to go to Utah. I don't know if anything's shut down in Utah, but you want to go to Utah and all the parks are closed. No, then I'm not going. And and again, if you're talking about from here until maybe the next, let's just say one year from now, I could get behind the idea that things are not going to be the same. And for instance, no, if I were to want to go on vacation in a state that were completely shut down because of the government type and just being really cautious about COVID, I probably wouldn't go in the next year. But that's the next year. I don't. I think when you're projecting out four or five years, there's just it's just not going to be that way. I don't know if you noticed this, but Chinese culture, a lot of them seem like they've already embraced the mask culture, right? Like the, if you go there, you see them here, you'll see a lot of the, the Chinese. They'll wear masks, right, when they're sick or just because they're worried about getting sick. And um, I'm not sure how it's been viewed by us, but now it seems like that's something we're taking hold of a little bit, whether. Fauci or whoever says it may or may not be doing anything, right? Do you think that's something that is going to be required uh, specifically with the airlines going forward because you got international travel and going from state to state? Well, I, I think as the science comes out, for sure, it's going to change the way I answer this question because I think the way I'm seeing the science roll out over time is it's get, people are discrediting the idea of gloves, discrediting the idea of... Um, masks and also to be fair 
China is where coronavirus apparently came from, and they were the most heavy users of masks. So I'm not really sure there's any anecdotal evidence that that's any of any use. But one billion people, man. So. But I also think it has to do with population density, and I think that America is just simply not at that place. And I don't know that we ever will be at that place where we. I mean, think about Oregon. There's something like eight percent of all of Oregon's land is actually populated by human beings. Eight percent, and even if you double that to sixteen percent. That's still virtually none of our land being used by human beings. Whereas you can go to wow. China. I don't know if you you can probably give some firsthand experience, but China's packed people everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I gotta imagine there's places that aren't. But yeah, it was. I mean, when you go to Shanghai and you go, that's 21 million or whatever it is. I mean, that's like insane, an insane amount of people. Right. That's even too hard to comprehend. So I think that's a difference that would eliminate the idea that we're going to be wearing masks as a you know as a people in general like china i think there's logistics behind the reason they were wearing masks but i don't know i guess this is all formulated in this idea that i go i just don't think it's going to change i do think it's going to change things the things that i think is going to change are more like um cold and flu season are we all going to just be on pins and needles next cold and flu season for the next two or three cold and flu seasons are we going to go like oh crap is this going to be a pandemic? And I think that there is, and I think this is in me now too, there is an actual mechanism in me now that goes, oh crap, be prepared at all times. The government could shut us down. And that was never on my radar before. Yeah. Or is it like where you go, okay, do we just, is it once a year um, or not once a year? Or is it like three months out of the year when it is cold and flu season that hours in all stores are limited? Maybe we go back to the like COVID-19 hours where just to limit the spread right you know of things and all of a sudden flights flight travel is like limited and i don't know all this stuff gets let me ask you this though because speaking of hours changing and obviously a million other things changing do you feel like this is going to change the way people do business and is it going to make businesses leaner in general well i try to ask that question to almost anybody i interact with because i truthfully believe it will. And everybody I talk to that they're going, Oh, I'm working from home. And I go, Oh, awesome. Do you think that's going to continue? And the majority of people say, no, I think they want us back there. And I'm going from an employer standpoint, if I could save money and have you at home, I mean, there's other fears you have, I guess, of distractions. And do you really get your work done? But if you can get over those and go, wait, if there's a measurable, a measurable amount of work that can get done in a day, that I can see no matter whether you go into a place of business or if you're at home, then why wouldn't I want to save the money? And some people go, yeah, but you still need a building. I can agree with that, but maybe you don't need as big of a building. Sure. So do you think that the changes in business are going to be more based around, oh, realizing we can do with less? Or do you feel like it's going to be more based around actual just being cautious? Um, I don't, I, hmm, I don't think it's about being cautious. I think it's about being less because that's we are a caring country and we do care about other people, but we're also a capitalist country and we care about our lifestyle and we care about our money and we're going to try to maximize it in the best way we can. We also care about our lifestyle and if we can maximize it by going, okay, my employer says I can work from home. I just cut off an hour's worth of commuting, half hour to work, half hour back or 20 minutes, whatever it may be. Um, so now I have an hour more and I get the flexibility of saying, Hey, I work from home because everybody loves the sound of that. Mm -hmm. And, um, the, and it doesn't impact my financial being. Yeah. Then, um, I can get on board with that. I think a lot of people will get on board with that. Mm -hmm. 
Do you think it's going to change the way, and this kind of ties into the question of travel, is travel going to change? Do you feel like on the consumer side, this is going to change how like people's demand for things? Because I've already recognized it in our line of business where I go, people are just way more understandable and flexible because they go, oh yeah, because COVID, like, mm-hmm. they're more willing to not come down. They're more willing to do the whole transaction over the phone. They're more willing to just be cautious because I think that they believe they're saving lives. Yeah, and I mean, everybody... Um... Yeah, you can throw that COVID-19 out there as a blanket excuse for everything. And, you know, mm-hmm. our hours are cut back and to 5 o'clock instead of 7 o'clock. Less yeah, staff. COVID-19, the staff and all that. And it, there is some merit behind it because we have to. I mean, you can't have that many people working in a place and be six feet apart. So you have to. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I think going to um, going back to your will people want to work from home or are the businesses going to change? I think everything is cyclical in, well, in the world, really, when it comes to fashion, when it comes to work. And there's this, there was this movement for you to get, you know, get a, a office job. And then for a little, everybody wanted to be working from an office. And then there was this, like, there's right now this open concept where you work together and you co-op with people and you kind of job share. And then I think a Google study came out and said, actually, that's more distracting for people and you do need mm-hmm. some time alone. And so then I think there's probably a mix between both people are trying to find. And so even if you do get, oh, all these people are now working from home because we can save money and do that. There's going to be a time when people are like, I can't work from home. I've got kids who are driving me crazy. And so I either have to set up an office at home or I'm going to go rent an office myself mm-hmm. somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with that. I, I mean, I'm speaking a little biasly, obviously, but I could not imagine working at home as the new norm. Um, and I don't think it will be the new norm. I and think. every business, like you said, you know, they're, they're a little bit more accepting of things, but there's things that we want. I mean, there's, I, I like to order things online. I love it. But until I figure out my pants size, I'm not ordering online. And my son right now is a good example of this. He's like, ah, dad, I need new shoes. And I go, why? You haven't gone anywhere in months. And he's like, I just want, I just need new shoes. I'm growing out of mine. I go, great. What size are you? I don't know. He's trying on all mine, but they're not, that doesn't help him. And so he wants to order them online, but he kind of needs to know his shoe size. And so, yes, I can take a tape measure, but we all know that Nikes fit different than Converse or than Reebok, than, you know, Puma. They all fit like a little different, right? Yeah. And so, so you go to a store, you figure out what you want, and then maybe you're more inclined to order from, you know, the Nike website or the, that store itself. But people want both. They want a physical location and they want to be able to order online and they want their needs met. And today I, I was helping some people, I mean, they came up from... Seattle and they came down all the way to Salem and they're going, I mean, they're staying the night in Portland. They're going, I just want to go somewhere to eat, but all your restaurants are closed. I said, no, they're, they're open in Salem. And they like lit up. Mm-hmm. It was such in like, they were so excited to go, Oh, I can, I can actually sit down in a restaurant. Yeah. Well, I think that goes to my original thought on the situation, which is that it's temporary. And I think that from both the producer standpoint and the consumer standpoint, it's temporary because I think that, Yes, customers are more flexible right now because they understand that the pandemic is affecting everybody differently. But I also think that give it a year, year and a half, and they're not going to be tolerating the excuse of, oh, you only have two staff members to help because COVID or because you had to downsize or because you changed your business model. Business models can change around pandemics, but then they have to change back again once the demand is there. And frankly, from what I'm seeing, it doesn't seem like demand has really decreased a lot. I think I think it's been like tempered a little bit, but well, it's interesting. I think 
stimulus probably did help that whether we have a view um, on a viewpoint on that on a negative or positive on that but I do go it, it did sustain people to not put a total dip in the economy because when they did open up things here at least in Oregon people are you know um, wanting to get out and wanting to spend their money but I do worry about the other states and that's where I go is travel going to be different because not every state is opening up and so what you may feel here in Oregon and Salem isn't the same that you're going to feel important in Portland, isn't the same you're going to feel in Seattle, is not the same you're going to feel in California. Yeah. And then you got these people over in you know South Carolina parting it up, and they're going, whoa, what's going on in the West Coast? Why are they being so staunch? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that play, that's a lot political, too. And so I think that give it a couple of months until the election, and then based on the outcome of the election, that's going to determine a lot of how we move forward. Because... You know, President Trump is threatening to withhold federal funding on a lot of things for states that choose not to open up and help businesses out. So if the political stance in your given state is that I'm not going to open up because it's politically correct and this is a political move, well, that's not going to pay off very well if he gets reelected. However, if he doesn't, it might pay off a little bit more. So, But at any rate, going back to the original question, I, I think it's a short-term thing. I don't think travel is going to be altered greatly. In the long run, and by the long run, to be clear, I mean a year and beyond. I think we'll come back to this podcast two years from now and go, look what it did. I, I believe there will be a, a substantial enough you know, earmark or um, just, I, I don't know what the right terminology is, but there will be a substantial enough mark on travel where we'll go, yeah, we can point back to this time yeah. and that changed it. That's my that's my take on it. Yeah, I think things will change, but I don't think it's going to be significant enough that like travels altered. By the way, folks, just to wrap this up, Marshall thinks we're going to be doing this podcast in two years, so that's a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> well, here, let me just in a teaser for that, I'll ask you two questions that we definitely don't have time to dive into right now. Yeah. But I want to know your answer on them and your take, and then I think we could probably discuss them in the future, depending on if people want to hear them or not. One, do you uh, believe in holding back federal funding? Is that for getting what you want as a president? Yeah, 100%. Ooh, 100, 100%. 110 if I had it, yeah. And it's mathematically impossible. Right, that's why I'm not Actually, president. I don't know what it is. We, and we'll go to uh, opening uh, open borders. Do you believe in open borders or not? No. You don't believe in open borders? No. For the United States specifically or for just every country? For any country. For any country. Yeah. Oh, man. That sounds like a fun one to unpack. Yeah. Let's let's yeah. get to that one in the future. If you really want to know uh, more about either one of those topics, email us, and then we can hit them up maybe next time or in the weeks to come. You can email Aaron at twoopinionatedguys.com or Marshall at twoopinionatedguys.com. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you.